Good morning, Crossroads. I have the privilege of reading our scripture for the morning. If you want to join with me, it's John 15. We're going to read verses 4 to 11. And I'm reading in the New King James edition. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The reading of the word. Thank you so much, Sharon. Didn't she do an awesome job? Thank you for that. Beautiful. The word of God is so powerful, and I love that we open with that scripture. My name is Chris Baker. You met Pastor Dave earlier. If you are new here, please, please come back. He is our senior pastor, and he's an excellent communicator. I would love for you to hear uh, him give the message, but today I get to give the message, and I love this, and this one particularly, you know, a lot of times, I'll be honest, most of the time when I get to do the message, this is a message that I feel like I need to hear, so what that means is that when I get to do the message, this is a socially acceptable way where I can talk to myself in public, and so I really appreciate you guys being here. It really blesses me, I hope, I hope that you can relate to some of this stuff, but really this is about me today, so just kidding, but it's, seriously, I do need to hear this message, and that, that passage, I love that passage because I think it kind of helps summarize what Pastor Dave has been teaching us through this transformation series, this inside-out concept. We all want to grow, right? We all want to be transformed by God. But oftentimes, we want to focus on the problem, or we want to focus on the goal, or, or the vision. We want to focus on the problem. And what this scripture is kind of saying is, look, fix your eyes on Christ, and then by the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit, he will bear fruit in you and through your life. And so it's kind of, we have it flipped. And so I love this passage here. But I did want to highlight two more things about this passage because it kind of adds to what we're going to be talking about today. First off, I wanted you to see here that God wants this transformation for us. He wants this transformation. One, he takes joy in it. He says that, right? That my joy may be in you, right? He takes joy in it. So he wants this transformation for us. But then he also says this, that your joy may be full, he wants this transformation for us. You get that? He wants this transformation for us. And I love this because he frames this concept in the context 
of relationship. He talks about obedience in this. If you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love. But he does it in the context of relationship. What he's really saying is he wants this for you because he knows that our, our disobedience or our rebellion kind of strains the relationship we have with him. Now listen, there is nothing you and I can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing you and I can do to make him love us less. That There is nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ. But our transformation does, from this passage, our transformation, our fruit does seem to be hindered by our rebellion. Do you see that? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? That, that rebellion is kind of like a roadblock to our transformation. And there's this whole kind of relationship component to our obedience. You know, it, this sounds kind of weird. When we talk about obedience and relationship, it kind of is hard for us to accept that. And so I was trying, I was thinking, you know, like from my life, and I thought of back in the old basketball days in high school. Now, nobody wants to hear about my basketball days. I know, but remember, I'm talking to myself, so I don't really care, <laughs> right? So I'm going to tell you about the glory days when old 32 was dribbling down and banking it off the old box. All right? So here's the deal. I had this awesome coach, Coach Beckett. If you're out there, I love you, man. You are an awesome coach. He's not out there. But if he is, maybe if you ever were to see this, I, I just want to say thank you. He was an awesome, awesome coach. But here's the thing about Coach Beckett. He had complete sovereignty on the basketball court. If you, if you played sports, you can maybe relate to this. My coach ha had just kind of, we understood that he demanded obedience. And we loved this guy, we trusted this guy, so we did everything we could to kind of, to kind of you know, show that we trust him. We just obeyed him, we, we knew he knew everything there was to know about basketball, and so we just trusted him and obeyed him completely. And there was one time, after a game, he has this meeting, and we've lost, because honestly, we weren't all that good, okay? Coach can only do so much, friends. Anyway, we had lost the game, so he's kind of chewing us out in this motivational style that coaches use, you know? So he's chewing us out, and he's like, we got this many shots in the paint. Can somebody please tell me, can somebody tell me why we lost that game? Can somebody tell me why we didn't finish those shots and why we lost that game? Now, for some reason, it probably has to do with the fact that I don't, at times, I don't pick up on social cues, if you know what I mean. I think he's actually asking a punk 17-year-old his opinion on the basketball game. And so I offer a potential solution. And the coach, in the moment, just in, you know, there's like a hush that comes over a locker room. And in the moment, just prior to the time when he broke his clipboard, I looked in his eyes. And I realized, in that instant, I realized, oh, that was one of those rhetorical questions. <laughs> he wasn't actually asking my opinion. And I learned in that instant. And then for the week after that, in th through the exercise drills that he made me do, I learned a valuable lesson that obedience actually strengthens this relationship. 
And maybe it's a bad example, guys. I get it. Maybe it's a bad example, and the analogy will break down. But here's what I want you to see. The big idea is that, that our rebellion hinders, hinders, or our rebellion is a roadblock to transformation. God wants this for us, and he wants it because it will actually strengthen our relationship with him. I thought we could, this, would, this kind of point would come, you kind of drive it further home. If we took an example from Scripture and kind of looked at a character from Scripture, and I thought the best character to look at is a guy named Jonah. Jonah, popular character, popular, popular character. We talk about him in kids' stories. I love the story, the whale. Uh, but Jonah's kind of an interesting character in Scripture when you really kind of read the story of Jonah. Fascinating guy. We don't know much about him. But he was born actually in kind of a region near Nazareth, so kind of born around where Jesus did a lot of his ministry in Galilee. But at the time when Jonah was born, that was called Israel, or the northern kingdom. The kingdom had split, and so Jonah was from the northern kingdom. But unlike some of the prophets that existed during the time of Jonah, like Amos, Amos went to Israel, because Israel, Israel at the time, they were spiritually kind of dead and corrupt, but they were actually financially doing quite well. Like economically, they were doing okay. It was Jeroboam II, and he had had some conquests. So Israel was doing okay, but they were spiritually dead. So some of the prophets at that time went to Israel, but Jonah gets this unique assignment. He's going to go to Assyria, okay? He's going to go to Nineveh. Now, this is a dirty job, okay? God gives this assignment to Jonah, but it's a dirty job because Jonah hates the Assyrians. He hates the Ninevites with a passion. And I don't know if you know much about the history, but something I was thinking about, and I don't know that Jonah knew this, but Assyria will eventually destroy the northern kingdom. So maybe Jonah's got all these thoughts going on. He hates them. Maybe he thinks, you know, this is a bad idea, God. This is a really bad idea. Because if we could take out their major city, Nineveh, you know, maybe that would help Israel in the long run. I don't know. Maybe he's singing all this. But for whatever reason, Jonah decides, I'm not doing this. I am not doing this. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, you know what? I'm going to get on a boat. Nineveh is on the far east. It's northeast of Israel. He gets on a boat heading as west as he possibly could go. He's going to this town in Spain called Tarshish. On that boat, he's heading out. And here's what he's saying. In fact, he says it three times, three times in four chapters in Jonah. He basically says, he asks three different times for somebody to kill him. Now, now here's what you got to understand. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I would rather die than do the will of God. Now, we're talking about transformation and I've been thinking about this character, and man, this question just keeps coming up in my mind. You know, Sharon read this passage, God wants to bless me with this transformation. God wants this for me, okay? So I have to think, you know, I probably, if this transformation isn't happening in my life, it probably has something to do with me, huh? You know, that there's probably something in me that's hindering this. And so I'm asking the question now, do I really want the transformation? Do, do I really want uh, the transformation? Do I really want the assignment from God? 
And I can honestly, I really believe deep inside my spirit, I can honestly say yes and amen. I want to live a holy and blameless life. I, I want a, a relationship with my wife and my kids. It's, it's honoring to God. I want those things. Desperately, I long for those things in my spirit. But at the same time, right? Like in my flesh, there's this like, this constant battle going on where he's like, well, yeah, but, but don't you think if you could just have like 15 minutes to yourself, if the Lord would just kind of turn his back or if you could find a place and hide or flee from his presence for just 15 minutes, wouldn't it be nice to just dabble a little bit in these earthly sinful pleasures? Wouldn't it be nice? And friends, in our culture, we like to kind of sugarcoat this. We, we like to kind of downplay this, but this is straight up rebellion. We like to call it insecurity. Hey, I'm just human, but this is straight up rebellion. That's, up, that's what's up with the flesh. The flesh is not just dead, it's rebellious. And this is what Jonah is wrestling with. He would rather die than do the will of God. We can't sugarcoat this, why? because we need to deal with that rebellion accordingly. Like my coach, right? That rebellious spirit was gonna ruin the team, right? We gotta deal with this accordingly. And you know how the word of God tells us to deal with these earthly pleasures? Jesus says, if, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Remember that one? Here's another one. This is Colossians 3, starting in verse 4. When Christ, his, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That tells you, look, abide in him. The power source is Jesus Christ, right? But then watch what it says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Why? Because the wrath of God. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is actually a judgment. When Jesus is confronted with some, some uh, Pharisees in the New Testament in Luke chapter 11, he says this. He says, uh, look, an evil and wicked generation demands a sign. No sign will be given to you, but the sign of Jonah. He's using this as a a judgment. Uh, he's pronouncing basically a judgment on these unrepentant Pharisees. And this is our wake-up call, right? This is a spirit of rebellion that resides in our flesh, and it's at war with our spirit, and we need to deal with it accordingly, right? And Jonah, Jonah, he just keeps wrestling with this flesh, and so he's on this boat, and, and this storm comes up because the rebellion always leads us into this terrible storm. And so he's on this storm, and the boat is going to crash. And so the sailors come to Jonah, and they're like, hey, what's up with this? And Jonah's like, look, I'm running from God. You need to throw me into the water. That's the first time he asked somebody to kill him. Just, just throw me into the water. I mean, really, Jonah, you couldn't come up with another solution? Like, how about, why don't you turn the ship towards Nineveh? Like, that's an idea? No. Throw me in the water. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to do the will of God. He would rather die than do the will of God. That's the rebellious heart that Jonah has. And so he, he tells the sailors, throw me overboard. But the sailors kind of are like, whoa, that's bad, Jonah. But even the sailors, it says, nevertheless, they kept rowing. Even the sailors wouldn't do it at first. 
But, but the storm gets so bad that everybody's going to die. So they, they literally, these are godless men. These are pagans, but they're like, literally, like, God, forgive us for this. But I'm going to just throw Jonah. They just, they just give in to Jonah. So they throw him overboard, and the, the, the seas die. The, calm, the storm calms down. God then sends this fish that, that swallows Jonah whole. You know the story, and saves his life. But here's, here's the thing that struck me about this story and how it relates to to our relationship with God. Do you, do you see this? God actually cared more about Jonah's life than Jonah did. Did you see that? In fact, even the sailors cared more for Jonah than Jonah did. Jonah asked them to kill him, basically. God cared more about Jonah's life than Jonah did. And I think about me, you know? And, and yes, obedience Obedience, we have this kind of negative view of obedience. And, 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 and yes, you know, like this transformation, Pastor David's been talking about, sometimes transformation can happen right now. But oftentimes it, it, it's this long process. And through that process, we're learning obedience. And so that's a painful process often. And in Jesus, in, in Hebrews 5, it says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So, so probably there's some suffering involved in this transformation process. And so that's painful. And so we resist that. And yeah, I get it. But at the same time, God cares more for me than I care for myself. He wants this for me. He wants my joy to be full. Doesn't that change the way you see obedience? Don't you see obedience kind of as this, this loving relationship you have with an almighty God who cares about you more than you care about yourself? I mean, seriously, how many people in here can name how many hairs are on your head? I, I, I can't tell you how many. I mean, I got some, yeah, there's some bald guys in here. They can say, yeah, I got two. One's turning left over here and the other one's going right. Okay, bad example. <laughs> but I can't, I'll tell you this, how many people, honestly, how many people feel like they've lived a life worthy of Jesus' death? Ain't nobody going to raise your hand. But here's the thing. What we're saying by our own admission is we wouldn't do for us what Jesus did for us. We wouldn't be willing to do for us what Jesus did for us. You guys are nice people, but if you knew me like I know me, you wouldn't die for me. If you knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't be willing to do that. But Jesus did it. Why? Because he cared more for me than I even care for myself. So the question is, do I want this transformation? Friends, why is it that I keep asking my flesh this spiritual question? The flesh has nothing to do with the spiritual question of life and transformation. Instead, we should resist. We should, the Apostle Paul says, beat your body and make it your slave. We should deal with the flesh and, and suppress that rebellion and hold tight to the hand of the Spirit and walk by the Spirit in obedience into this sweet relationship, this intimacy that we can have with Jesus Christ, where by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is transforming us and making us more like Him. Amen. But there's a word of caution from Jonah. Whenever you talk about obedience, what we tend to do is focus on the project or focus on, uh, on the act. We focus on the outside. But look at what happens to Jonah. 
Jonah gets vomited onto land by a giant fish. And God comes to him again and says, Jonah, remember that assignment I get? I want you to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah has repented. He said, my salvation is in the Lord. He's repented. And so he's going to go to Nineveh. But he goes through Nineveh. It takes him three days to walk through this giant city. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches probably the most pathetic sermon ever. Okay? You thought this one was bad. He preaches this pathetic sermon. He walks through the city, says, yeah, in 40 days, y'all are going to be overthrown. 40 days, you're all going to die. 40 days, you're all going to die. It's so bad. When the word finally gets to the king, the king makes this proclamation. He says, repent fast, and maybe, maybe God will relent. I don't even know that Jonah even gave them that option. Like, he probably didn't say, like, in 40 days, you guys, y'all going to die. He didn't say, but if you repent, you like you may get away with this. <laughs> like he probably just said, in 40 days, you're all gonna die. Basically, Jonah took the assignment from God and he checked it off the list. He obeyed God out of this obligation. He focused on the outside, but his the inside, his heart was never transformed. See, you gotta understand when you're talking about obedience, you have to remember the relationship. Remember, the power source is in the relationship. So any type of obedience, when the Lord tells you to do something, the goal of that is to know God more, okay? It's not to check it off our list. Frankly, God didn't need Jonah to go tell the Ninevites. He could have sent a donkey to tell the Ninevites. He could have sent an angel, right? It's not what Jonah could do for God. God had this work prepared beforehand for Jonah so that Jonah's joy could be full. This was for Jonah. And so he focused on the outside. He got nothing on the inside. But when we obey the Lord, our focus is to know him more. See, there's a relationship component to our obedience. We're going to grow from the inside out, right? Jonah attempted to grow from the outside in. And look what happened to him. At the end of the, the scene in chapter 4, again, Jonah's asking God to kill him. He's so mad that the Ninevites repented and God didn't destroy the Ninevites. He's so mad about it. He's saying, God, it'd be better if you just killed me. Again, same rebellious heart. He would rather die than do the will of a loving God. Here's a man who experienced the grace of God. He was a spoiled brat. I'm, I'm just going to call him this. He was spoiled. I could call him a spoiled brat because I can relate to him. I'm not picking on him, okay? I could totally relate to him. But he's a spoiled brat. God rescued him. He extended grace to Jonah. Jonah won't extend grace to the Ninevites. Finally, God exposes his heart so much. He says this at the end of the chapter. He says, Jonah... There are 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Do you know who that is? Those are kids. Those are innocent children. The story goes that there's this plant that grew up behind Jonah and provided him shade, and then the plant died. And Jonah's complaining about that, saying, oh, it would be better. You killed me again. I'm not picking on him. I relate to him. This is just his flesh. Saying, oh, this plant died. I'm so mad. And God is like, look, Jonah, you cared more about a stupid plant than 120,000 
children in Nineveh? That's how wicked his heart had become. Guys, listen, that's not just some prophet of old. That's the flesh. Consider our track record. Jesus Christ, he came to this earth, and basically, here's what he said. Guys, you got it wrong. You're so focused on the outside, but the inside is dead. You're dead wrong. This is leading you to destruction. You need to follow me. That's basically all he did. And humanity, our response, we tried to deny the truth, didn't work. We tried to deny the miracles, it didn't work, till our flesh got so, so upset with this guy that we said, you know what, we're gonna put this guy, we're gonna get this guy off our back, and they just rose up and killed him. Friends, that's our track record. We deal harshly with this rebellion in our flesh, why? because it wants to attack the Lord and Savior. Yes, obedience requires this process. There's this transformation process, and yeah, it's hard, but it leads us into this sweet, sweet relationship with Christ. Like, I don't know, where are you at today? We're gonna end on this, but where are you at today? You know, are you wrestling with that question? Listen, God was able to take a rebellious prophet. He was able to use that rebellious prophet. I don't don't care. You may think you have rebelled against Christ so much he can't use you. Think again. I mean, Jonah is a testimony to the grace of a loving, loving God. Think again. If you're wrestling with that question, I get it. I totally get it. Because transformation, yes, sometimes it happens overnight, but, but oftentimes it requires this process. And yeah, sometimes there is this suffering. But you're going to approach this, you're going to keep it in perspective. Our present sufferings don't compare to the glories in heaven. You're going to keep it in perspective, but also you're going to see this as an opportunity to develop perseverance, as an opportunity to grow closer to Christ. That's his heart. His heart is not to burden you with, with these, this, the weight of the law. No way. You're set free like we've been singing. You're set free from the law. This is simply intended to bless you. So I thought we could end today with just kind of with that prayer on our heart. It's just, just kind of coming before God and, and, and focusing our eyes on Him as the source of life. We're going to fix our eyes on Him and allow Him to do this work by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But here's what I want, here's what I want you to, to recognize. As you're praying this, you're going to hear basically two, two thoughts. In your spirit, there's going to be this cry out, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. I've been waiting for this. I've been suffering so much. I want so desperately this transformation. And then in your flesh, there's going to come this thought that says, yeah, but. That, that means you're going to have to give up that, that, that friendship. Yeah. That, that means you're going to have to. You're going to have to turn the computer off at night. You're going, to, you're going to have to do this certain thing, and that's going to be hard. Are you sure you want this transformation? And here's what I want you to do. As we're praying, I just thought of this. I hope this is okay. I want you to, to in your mind's eye as we pray, I want you to look at that thought 
and then do something violent to it. Amen. Throw a spear at that thought. Beat that thought into submission. Say, no, flesh. God wasn't talking to you. He was talking to my spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, your word, it is so powerful. God, you use it like a refiner's fire, and you're just burning off all these impurities, Lord. God, I, I confess, Lord, I admit that, that I am rebellious. And oftentimes when, when you speak to me, I consult with the flesh. I don't know why I do it, God. I don't know why I do it. I, I'm, just, I'm just sorry about it. But Lord Jesus, you're calling me in, in this area of transformation, I thank you that you're gracious and you're gentle and you lead me through this process gently and, and you're encouraging me and you're empowering me. I thank you that you do that, Lord. But I, I just confess, Lord, help me in my unbelief. I trust you. I trust you. You're gonna lead me to victory. I know that, God, I trust you, but help me in my unbelief. And as my flesh wells up for me, arm me, God. Arm me with your word that I can, I, can, I can fight it off. I can put it into submission and make it obey your word, Lord Jesus. For my brothers and sisters, this week, as they encounter, as they hear a word from you, Lord Jesus, I pray the word, your word, would come to mind that would challenge that thought, God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. We want to know you more. God, I just, just as I'm praying this, I just have my, a burden on my heart for our, our church congregation that is, that is struggling, that is suffering. God, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Come to me, those who need rest. And God, so for my, my brothers and sisters who are right now just, just exhausted and they're frustrated, whatever experience they're going on, God, I just pray you would comfort them right now. Give them that peace and rest that we find only in you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.